0: I am Karan Bhatia, and this is Ask the Experts. On today's episode, we have a jam-packed show. First up, Amir King Khan. He's fresh off his knockout win over Billy Dib. We're going to recap that win, and we're going to talk Pacquiao-Thurman aftermath. Amir says he saw weaknesses in Pacquiao. What were those weaknesses? And what happened to the Amir Khan versus Manny Pacquiao matchup that was announced? We're going to find out exactly what happened there. In addition, he's going to talk about Kel Brook. Artem Lobov. These are people who have called him out, and he's going to give us his honest opinion of what would happen if he did fight those people, and if he wants to fight those people. We're also going to look back at Amir Khan's fight with Terrence Crawford. The ending was a little controversial. We're going to ask him what exactly happened at the end there. Was there a low blow? Was the fight stopped correctly? Should he have taken more time in the corner? We're going to get Amir's exact thoughts there, and was he happy with the way Virgil Hunter handled that? Virgil was in Amir Khan's corner, and he waved off that fight. We're going to get Amir Khan's thoughts on that and much more. After that, I'll be speaking with Kelly the Ghost Pavlik former middleweight champion, hero to Youngstown, Ohio, and to many others. He gave us an excellent, honest interview. He's going to update us on what he's been up to. And is he coming back? It seems like every week, every month, there is a new fight with Kelly Pavlik's name attached, a rumor that he may fight so-and-so. He's going to tell us if he ever will come back into the boxing ring. And he's going to break down the current middleweight division. How does it compare to when he was champion? He's going to actually tell us how he would fare against Triple G and Canelo. You're going to want to hear that. Plus, we also hear Kelly Pavlik's name in the news, not always for great reasons. Run-ins with the law here and there. He's going to explain exactly what those moments were. He's going to take us through them, tell us exactly what happened. After that, I'll be speaking with ESPN journalist and co-host of the Three Knockdown Rule, Steve Kim, you've seen him reporting, you've read his articles. I'm going to ask him his Mount Rushmore of top fighters and why he has Naeo Inouye at the top of that list. We're also going to get his reaction to Pacquiao Thurman, his picks for Joshua Ruiz 2, his pick for Wilder Fury 2. And most importantly, this is important, I asked him, who would win a 12-round sparring session between him and his co-host Mario Lopez? He's going to give us an answer on that as well. After that, we will be talking to Gabe Oppenheim, Gabe has been reporting on the Canelo drama. Canelo has been in the news lately because he wanted to get a fight with Sergei Kovalev. That fight did not come together. In addition, Canelo was stripped of his IBF title because they were unable to make an agreement with Sergei Derevichenko. What does that mean? That means Canelo has been reportedly unhappy with his promoter, his longtime promoter, Golden Boy Promotions. There may be trouble in paradise there. And Gabe is reporting on this. He's talking to sources and he's going to break down exactly what is going on from all sides. And we're going to talk what the possibilities are. Could Canelo actually get bought out of his zone contract? Remember, he signed a 10-fight, $350 million contract. Could he actually get bought out of that? We're going to run through all the possible scenarios. Will he fight Kovalev next? When is he going to fight Triple G? We're going to talk about that, and Gabe is going to tell us what is most likely to happen next. And my last guest, all the way from India, Niraj Goyad. Neeraj was the WBC Asia Honorary Boxer of the Year in 2017, and he was actually supposed to fight Amir Khan on July 12th. That fight fell apart because Neeraj Goyat was in a car accident. I asked him what exactly happened, how is he recovering, what is going to be next for him, does he still want that Amir Khan fight, and we're going to discuss the rise of boxing in India. But without further ado, let's get to the first Yes, Like I said, Amir King Khan. He's a silver medalist in the Olympics for Great Britain. He's a multi-division former champion. His resume is a who's who in boxing, and he seems to get called out by everyone. So we're going to ask him about all the people calling him out for a fight. He addresses all that. He talks about all the rumors about Manny Pacquiao. Is that fight going to happen? Why was it announced? So let's get to it. My name is Karan Bhatia, and let's ask the experts. All right, this is uh, Karan Bhatia for the Ask the Experts podcast. I'm talking to Amir Khan. Amir, we just had the Manny Pacquiao versus Keith Thurman fight. I'm sure that you were an an interested observer in that fight because you've uh, wanted to fight Pacquiao for a long time. Um, You've said you noticed uh, some flaws in in, in Pacquiao. What, What did you notice about Pacquiao in that fight?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, look, I'm not taking nothing away from Manny Pacquiao. He put in a great performance. He did what he had to do in the fight. He won the fight convincingly against the guy who is, you know, who is in the top, uh, one of the top fighters in the World Worldweight division, in Keith German. So you have to respect what Manny Pacquiao did. At the end of the day, you you fight who you have in front of you. And, but I did see that the age, obviously, he's 40 years old, and you can't, you know, you can't hide that. Basically, you can see in. His performance—I mean, he was quick, but he wasn't that same explosive Manny Pacquiao. He had power, but it just seems to be um, power with his backhand. His front hand normally used to have a lot of power, where he will hurt you with a right hook. But I could see that it was just mainly his backhand that was causing a lot of the problems. And um, and and if you if you look closely at the fight, he he stopped doing the flowier shots that he normally does. Which kind of throws a lot of people off because I remember the days when we, me and Manny Pacquiao used to sport, And, um, you know, when he used to do them flurries that just pull you off a little bit. So he has a lot of hand speed and it just shows, it just seems that now he doesn't really, uh, like especially in the last fight, he didn't really throw that many flurries because sometimes mentally as well when you keep hearing that you're 40 years old, you're older, you're getting old now, it does play with your mind a little bit.
0: Absolutely, and, and you used to spar with Banny, so you know his style very well. He obviously came out strong. He knocked down Thurman, but Thurman did come back in those middle rounds, and I'm sure, I'm sure you were looking at that. So you've, you're, you were looking to have the fight with Manny Pacquiao on, on November 8th in Saudi Arabia. That seemed to, to fall apart. So what, what exactly happened there?
1: Well, to be honest with you, I, it, it's crazy. Um, I mean, people always said, look, uh, the fight between you and Manny will be very explosive. It will be very exciting to watch. And I really believe that myself. Now, you know, for Manny, uh, you know, it, it would be a hard fight because we know each other quite a lot. We spar with each other. Um, for myself, also, it would be a very hard fight. You know, we are friends, but sometimes you have to put your friendship to the side. But um, you got quite close. Um, I heard from Superboxing uh League promotions, they said that they signed Manny Pacquiao signed the fight. So, in my opinion, the fight is done. When something's signed, you expect to you know, then announce the fight. I had a press conference and said, Look, I've heard Manny Pacquiao sign the fight and I think it's more or less on. Then, Manny obviously, a week of the fight against um, Thurman, he says, Look, I'm not signing nothing. Basically, then I go back to the team of Super Boxing League and they say that it was signed by Manny's advisors and his lawyer. I don't know how what that means, basically. I mean, I know one thing, when my lawyer signs something, I tell him to sign, then it's like he's signed from me, basically. So I don't know what this means when his lawyer says he signed it, but my niece, my niece still refuses. So I don't know what's happening at the moment. And to be honest with you, look, I'm not really going to chase it too much. I made the mistakes before. I'm going to hopefully fight at the end of the year. No matter who it is, uh, we'll be in the ring. And I'll try for the money Pacquiao fight. If the Manny Pacquiao fight doesn't
0: happen, then we watch someone else. And and so basically, they their side was basically you were told that their side had signed the agreement from Manny's advisor, from Manny's lawyer, and therefore you said the fight's made, you announced it, and then after that is when Manny's side came back and said, "Hey, we we actually have not agreed to this."
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. And look, I don't want to be uh bad to announce the fight like in any way, you know, I respect Manny Pacquiao, and obviously maybe a little bit of excitement, I thought, look, he's uh, the fight's fine, so it's good to let everyone know. Uh Maybe it was the wrong time to say it, maybe things might have been a little bit different if I said it now, where it's after his fight, so I don't know if the fight's going to happen still or not, like I said, I'll just leave it to the team, and I'm in and then hopefully we'll see where we go from here, really, but look, I'm not going to chase a fight and wait around for it because I've made a lot of a lot of time times I've done that. For example, when I was chasing a Mayweather, that fight didn't happen. I was out of the ring for
0: like two years, so I can't afford to do that now. You know, I'm at that age where I need to keep myself busy. You, The one thing about you that no one can deny is you always, always want to fight the best, and, and certain times you do fight the best. You fought Terrence Crawford recently, who was a top pound-for-pound fighter. You fought Canelo Alvarez. You, you take those challenges, and you're always trying to get the biggest fight. So in the case of Pacquiao, it looks like that may be on hold, and we'll see if that can come together next year. You mentioned the other big name that you, that you chased for a long time. His name was Floyd Mayweather. Floyd is obviously retired, but there's always grumblings that there may be a comeback. Do you think that there's any chance that, that the Floyd Mayweather fight could be made for you?
1: I mean, I don't know, to be honest. Indeed. I think my staff fight will never be made. And at the same time, these are people I would like to fight. Uh, I think I've proved myself a number of times to make those fights happen. Um, and, you know, it's not like I'm not... I mean, I'm just not like I'm not a scalable fighter, you know, a character who can't sell fights or who's not a big name. So... You would think the fight style that would happen, but I really believe that it was because you know I would cause a lot of problems. And don't get me wrong, they are amazing fighters, but I think I would have been giving them a lot of problems and causing a lot of um, would have made the fight a lot harder than expected. So that's the reason I'm fighting at the fight.
0: So your last fight it was against Billy Dib. You you, you fought in April this year against Terence Crawford, and, and you bounced back quickly by putting together the fight in Saudi Arabia. It was supposed to be against Niraj Goyat of India, Pakistan versus Goy- uh, versus in, uh, India, but but uh, Goyat was in a car accident. He's okay now, but Billy Dib stepped in. So just tell me about the experience of of fighting uh, in Saudi Arabia, having having all the fans uh, supporting you, and, and and that night, and and knocking out Billy Dib in the fourth round.
1: Yeah, so first of all, I want to say a big thanks to Saudi Arabia for inviting me there, and having me there. So, uh, I'm in call promotion in Saudi Arabia. We put on a great show, on a great event, on, and I got the win. I was fighting against Billy did. It was a good tune-up fight after a cross-fight. It was a quick turnaround, and in Saudi Arabia, no one ever expects a fight there because you always have that, you know, element. Oh, it's going to be very religious. You can't do anything. You can't if do a head-cuff. If you, you could, but no, it was totally different. It was. I mean, I've been Saudi to Mecca and Medina before to do my pilgrimage, but this time was amazing. And everything I uh, I, I, expected—I didn't didn't expect happening—happened. You know, we we were very relaxed. Everyone was very happy. I had a lot of people from the UK coming over from Dubai, from all over the world. I came to the fight, America, and they were very happy, and they felt very safe. And um, you know, overall, it was an amazing event. I mean, even had um, musicians there. We had a live concert in between the the show. We had Tiger performing and Rick Ross performing, so that kind of gives it a little bit of a kick, you know. Uh, so it, it was different, but it was it was amazing to be in Saudi Arabia.
0: It was it was certainly a huge event, and I and I think for that area to see boxing and, like you said, to, to put on a show, it seemed like the, the crowd was really into it, and it looks like that may be a future partnership for, for future fights. Um, I wanted to ask you, I noticed a, a change in the corner. You know, you've been with Virgil Hunter for so long. This fight was with Bones Adams and also Alex Ariza back in the corner. So is that going to be your team going forward? Or are you no longer going to be working with Virgil Hunter? You know,
1: you can never say it
0: and uh, never ever you know it can happen we can work together again but at this moment in
1: time i'm happy with who i'm working with which Bon adam and Alex Arisa. um no fallouts in any way obviously we. i just feel like a little bit of a change sometimes a change it definitely makes you kind of work on new things and makes you uh, you know change your style a little bit and makes you a better fighter so i did it because i just needed that change and someone a new, a new uh, voice in the corner. So yeah, I made a change, and no hard feelings. versus was a good trainer. I'm just going to move on in, um, and work with another trainer.
0: And in in your last fight, you know, with Virgil in the corner against uh Terence Crawford, um in in the uh 6th round, you you got hit low, you went to the corner, um you were taking time for recovery and and Virgil waved off the fight. So I'm just curious, you know, did you support that decision that that Virgil made at that moment? He said he looked at you and made a determination. Um w- did you support him stopping the fight at that time? Not
1: at all. Um, I didn't, you
0: know,
1: um it was it was a little shot and I think that's one of the reasons as well that I had to kinda of think about my future and see what do I really want to do and who do I really wanna uh, have me trained by, you know, so I mean a lot of, there a lot of things involved and you know, I'm not I don't like blaming people and it becomes like a blame game. Uh, but these are things that I needed to change and I needed to um rectify uh, so that way I can make it back to where I belong and and that's one of the reasons I played change trainers and um, now we bones. And I mean, I don't know how long that's going to last because look at this stage in my career, I don't want to make any mistakes and I don't want to take any risks. So I want to make sure that I'm with someone that I'm very really happy with. So then, you know, I make sure that I'm going to be 100% ready for a fight. So these changes happen. I think it's like, um, it happens to the best of us. And I think sometimes it works for you. Sometimes it might not work for you and uh, hopefully, um, these changes for me have been quite good.
0: You, you've had a few cha- uh, trainers, and it's and uh, you've had Freddie Roach, Goosen, and Virgil Hunter, so we'll see what team uh, you work with next. Another name out there, of course, I have to ask you, is uh, Kel Brook. I saw Kel Brook at the, at the Crawford fight in New York, and, and he I interviewed him. He said that Amir Khan, in his words, he said, Amir Khan's a joke, he has no respect for me as a fighter. Uh, he said he doesn't want to fight you. So your response to Kel Brook would be what?
1: Yeah, my response will be oh, we just getting the line. and the end of the day, um, honestly, I really feel that he should retire. I mean, I don't want to fight him and give him a beating and obviously hurt him. I really think he should retire because obviously having I mean, two eye sockets broken, he's already slurring, he's already, um, you know, um, he's been beat up, basically. His body's been beat up. I mean, he's got nothing exciting going for him and I think that's why he just keeps calling my name out and living off the back of that. So, I just feel like, you know, if um, that fight ever happened, it happened. But in my opinion, I honestly, um, if the fight between me and him happened, it, he, would be, he would get hurt. And obviously, look, if boxing is a sport, and especially when someone's already broken, you know, I don't want to be giving any more punishment to him. So I just think he should retire, really, instead of calling names out like myself and other names that there. So... I mean, that's my advice for okay, Kelvin. And if he does fight me, obviously look, there's only one winner in that fight. But let's see.
0: Do you think? Do you think he's just using your name now for clout, trying to trying to get some, uh, just trying to use your name in that way?
1: Definitely. Look, it happens in boxing. But,
0: um, a lot of fighters do that. You know, they start using uh, opponents, the
1: other opponents, they use other big names to kind of give them a big name. And so, yeah, I'll get them, keep them relevant, keep them uh, in the picture. I mean, if. My name wasn't connected with Kel Brooks in, in, in him fighting me. Then I think everyone would have forgotten, like, forgotten about Kel Brooks a long time ago. So I don't know like why people keep mentioning it to me. So at the end of the day, look, people know I mean, and I know myself. But look, I'm with different levels apart. And um, yeah, that fight between me and him, I can't really see happening. And like I said, the only advice I can give him is to retire.
0: Certainly, and, and you know, fighter safety has come up a lot in, in the, the recent weeks. Obviously, we had Maxim Dadashev, who, who tragically passed away after a fight. Um, other fighters have passed away, and it, it's, it's been tragic. You've been in some wars yourself, and, and you know, sometimes it hasn't gone your way. Sometimes it has, obviously, and, and there has been times where, where you have been knocked out. D- does that you know, worry you at all in terms of your age now and looking at fighters in the sport? What is, what is your thoughts on safety and, and boxing right now?
1: Yeah, definitely. First of all, I think look, boxing and safety, we saw two tragic uh, incidents that happened uh, just, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, in boxing, things like this happen. You are going into a ring to hurt someone. So I just feel now it's come to a stage where, you know, you have to make sure you're still at the top of your gear, training hard, you're making sure that you're, doing everything well, you're listening well, and you're respecting the sport. Um, you're training hard. Still, days come where you don't want to wake up in the morning and you don't want to go for that run, but you still have to, you know. And because boxing is a very brutal sport where you can get hurt from it, and you know you, you get you can get lifetime injuries in it. So, you know, um, I've had wars in my in my in, the, in my game. Definitely, I have. Um, I've been I've been in a lot of twelve-round fights, but the times I have been knocked out, it's only been that one punch, um, and I've gone down and I've stayed down. And um, so I just believe that when a fight goes twelve rounds, and I've seen some other fighters when they fight, they take numerous punches, so many hits that slowly is breaking you down and giving you, more, causing you more damage. Whereas you now people can sell all they want. I mean, I can't take a shot; he he gets knocked out fine. But at least I get knocked out with that one shot, which I'm not taking a brutal amount of shots, which is slow, you know, slowing me down. So. Like, you know, people, people are always going to say that thing, and give, give me their intake. And, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of fights um, and I'm enjoying the sport as it is. So just making the most of everything now and hopefully um, see how I feel. And the day I do call it a day would be the day when I wake up and I'll be like, I don't want to do it anymore. But at the moment, I've still got that fire in me. I don't want to, I still want to fight. I still want to box. Financially, I don't need to box. God's been kind. I can leave the sport, but it's just I got a love of the sport. I know once I call it a day, I know I need to retire, then I can't go back. That's why I keep on going because I know when I call it a day, that's it. I will call it a day.
0: And I know I know the hunger and the fire has still been there. You, your debut was in two thousand five. You've had thirty nine professional fights, and so it sounds like if you know you want to target the big name still. If you don't get a, a big name sometime soon, is there a chance that that you may call it call it a quit after call it quits after a few fights?
1: Um, it's hard to say. Look, one thing about boxing is that there's a lot of young fighters who are coming up. There's a lot of fighters who are um, you know who want to prove a point. Uh, who finger the old guy now in the game and, and I'm so I still feel so young you know I, I mean I'm only probably like almost 35 but I'm only 32 years old and so I still got it in me and I, and I, and I can I mean we the young guys I can I box the young guys but time will I'll know when it's time to call it a day I'll not let boxing retire me I'll make sure when, when it's the right time to call it a day and I'm just going to enjoy every bit of it at the moment because I know that I'm going to miss the sport once I leave it so that's the reason
0: and and one more name that called you out, I have to ask you. I interviewed him. Is is was Artem Lobov? He he fought Paulie Malignaggi in the bare knuckle championship, and uh, you know he's he's been Conor McGregor's sparring partner uh, in in MMA. But he said he would like to have a boxing match with you. Would you ever entertain a boxing match with Artem Lobov?
1: Yeah, and 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 honestly, like that, I would knock him out as well. I mean, I can't believe an MMA fighter. I mean, you see what happened to what Floyd Mayweather did to McGregor, you know, yeah, McGregor the friend, and, um, and the day I respect him, but boxers, I mean, MMA fights can't, can't back go up against boxers, and uh, I think Ball is just, I mean, I feel sorry for him if he ever fought me, to be honest with you, so, yeah, I mean, look, there's one thing wishing, there's one thing getting it, so, that's see.
0: And and I know that you've said your speed would tra- you feel your speed would translate well to MMA. Is there a chance that Amir Khan would ever would ever try MMA?
1: I mean no. I mean look, there's always a an opportunity to try what UFC's see what what goes on in UFC or whatever. I mean look, you never know. I mean imagine being in a UFC matchup. I don't know, anything can happen. I mean this is uh this is the world we live in, anything can happen, so you just never know. Uh, but at the moment look, I'll never try MMA, look like I said. Um, I've been in the game for a long time and I think once I call it a day from boxing I'll not go back to another another
0: another uh, complex sport. I'll just call it a day so and the rapist of and, and to, just to wrap it up, I know that you, you said you'd fight again this year, most likely in Saudi Arabia in November. So like we've just mentioned so many names. So there's all, also in the welterweight, welterweight division, there's Errol Spence. Uh, there's Sean Porter. We talked about Keith Thurman, Manny Pacquiao, Kelbrook. So at the end of the day, if you had your choice, there's also Niraj Goyad who probably wants to get his opportunity. At the end of the day, if Amir Khan had his pick, who would be your next opponent if you, if you had the choice?
1: You see, I mean, I've, I've, I've had all these guys send will find me go find me about they want to find me, or, find me, or, they find me, or they, they, I have all these guys, uh, all these, all these um, top welterweight fighters who are not fighting each other, and they think that they they are fighters that people are afraid of. I ain't afraid of anyone. I'll fight anyone, whoever they put in front of me, being Arrow uh, Spence, whoever they put in front of me, I am ready to fight. So all these Errol Spences and look. Crawford and all like, that. I'd love to have another shot at Crawford to be honest with you because I just feel that with that low shot it was purposely done because he he knew I was getting it. That's the reason he hit me with a low shot. Um I would like my shot with um Crawford at the back and then see what I do for after that.
0: You felt that in that sixth round against Crawford that that you were coming back and Crawford hit you low uh because he felt like he could feel you coming back?
1: He can say what he wants. It was a low shot and the referee have ruled it as a no contest. He hit me with a low shot, or he would have gone to the points. Um, I was just getting into the game. I was getting into a groove. It's not like I was getting outboxed. The points were very close. there was like a round or two in in for me or for him. So so, it, yeah. I mean, I just feel that I was cheated in that fight. Not only by profiting me with a low shot, but I was cheated unfairly by commission, the uh, judges, the referee, everyone that was against me. I was on my own that day.
0: And when he brought that up, you know, it came up in the post-fight press conference, and, and you talked about it was a low shot, and, and you guys kind of went back and forth.
1: What he would have done, if I hit him with that shot, I know one thing, though. If I hit him with that
0: shot, you know, I would have got disqualified. That's the difference.
1: That's what I'm trying to say, you know.
0: And so so you definitely want that, that Crawford rematch. Would that be your top choice for the next fight?
1: 100%. That would be my first choice. But like I said, I know I ain't gonna get it because they're just gonna they know what you know where he was where I was getting the better of him and they don't want to part me. Basically. They know that um I would cause him a lot of problems and that's the reason that will happen. That shot was perfectly hit below the belt. I mean, he hit me hot it, it was a very low shot. Um confusion in the corner as well, which didn't help. I was told I was five minutes, then before you know it. I go for a little walk, because I five minutes, I go to a little walk to half the way to the uh, where, where the ropes are. I walk towards the ropes, and then they call the fight off. Now, see, there's a lot of confusion in there, so, I don't know. I mean, it's very really hard to follow that fight.
0: That's why I would like the rematch. So you want the rematch. Like we said, other names out there, Pacquiao, Mayweather, Kelbrook, all, the, all these names are, are hopefully in the mix. Amir Khan, one thing that I, I think uh, you know, no one can take away from you is, is you're a brave fighter, you dare to be great, and you always want to take, out, take on the, the best possible competition. And I'm sure that you're going to continue that mindset towards the kind of end-final end stages of your career here.
1: And I really appreciate it, man. And I'm, I'm going to try. At end of the day, I going to give the finals good fights and fights that are going to always enjoy. And I'll just keep fighting uh, as long as I feel good and feel sharp and feel strong. And like I said, just, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully young fighters can take a leaf out of my book and think, you know what, take a page out of my book and think, wow, you know, I to do this way and we should follow the same footsteps he took. Because I've only, in my career, fought big names and top names. I've never been afraid to fight anyone. So I hope, um, you know, other fighters see that and they can do the same as well.
0: Let's hope so. Let's hope the, the big matchups in boxing get made and, and that we see the best fights. Amir Khan, thank you so much for the time and, and your honesty and your and your candor and, and breaking it down. And, and we definitely look forward to seeing you in the ring sometime this year, seeing you uh, back in Saudi Arabia with, with, with the uh, crowd, crowd cheering for you again. Thank you so much for the time.
1: I really appreciate it, man. Thank you very much.
0: That was Amir King Khan and you really cannot be more honest than uh, Amir Khan there telling us uh, his exact thoughts on uh, Manny Pacquiao and what happened uh, with that fight why it didn't come together he said that he thinks Kelbrook should retire he said that if he took on Artem Lobov he would knock out Artem Lobov Um, And he says the guy that he wants to fight most next is Terrence Crawford. He wants the rematch. He feels like the low blow was intentional at the end, and he wants another crack at Terrence Crawford. We will see if he gets that fight. Up next, I have another very honest fighter, another former champion, former middleweight champion this time, Kelly Pavlik.
2: This is
0: uh, Karin Bhatia for the Ask the Experts podcast, lucky enough to be talking to former middleweight champion, hero to many, especially in Youngstown, Ohio, Kelly, the Ghost Pavlik. Kelly, uh, I just want to know, to start off, what have you been up to lately? I know that um, you've been big into powerlifting lately. Um, I know that you're still training, you're still active, so, so what have you been up to?
2: I've been all over the place. <laughs> um, I have a fitness gym outside of my hometown, great outside. Um, getting ready to open a boxing gym. It should probably be running by end of september um hopefully by the middle of October at the latest so that's a big project that you know I've been enjoying being a part of um got a actually got a combine we teamed up with a, a big company that does uh you know college football combines, and we teamed up also with adidas and we're in it works with another um, company and we're putting on combines for fifth grade through 12th grade and it's an all-sports combine so it kind of works out for athletes uh, that you know almost like a last chance for some of the seniors and for the younger people coming up you know where you keep progress the database will go out to state regional and national and even worldwide um, so we got that going on also and just uh, really busy, and actually in the process of making an app, a, fitness, a boxing fitness app. So I'm busy, man. You're, you I are, are busy, busy,
0: and and you you obviously I'm gonna have to ask you: <laughs> Is there any chance that that you'd be coming back? Your last fight was in July of 2012 uh, against Will Rosinski, and you actually ended your career uh, up to this point on four wins. You had a four-fight winning streak at that point. Um, when when you uh, called it today, is there any chance that that we would see Kelly Pavlik back in the ring?
2: You know what, man, um, I haven't made the final announcement, but I can tell you guys, with everything I got going right now, probably not. Um, you know, I, I've there's the whole announcement of that maybe making a comeback. You know, I was on a Joe Rogan show and we were shooting the shit, you know, just um, BSing, and at that point, you know. I truly did have the itch, but I, I clearly stated that it was you know, a lot a lot goes along with it, you know, and, and uh, I was I was actually looking at more of just to come back against the guy who really ain't nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just it's back in the ring. Um, there wasn't anything about money or of course, you know, everybody takes that and blows it out of proportion. And, you know, so the realistically I'm you know, thirty seven years old. I've been out of the sport for seven years, and, you know, i got a lot going on and, and, and having fun, so, you know, it, right now, it's not looking like
0: it. So, it looks like uh, you may be calling it a day. I know that throughout the years, like you said, there's always been announcements, Kelly, uh, Kelly Pavick is coming back. Um, I think there was rumors that you were going to fight Andre Ward, Tony, Tony Bellew, um, any of the fights uh, between 2012 and now, were, were, were there ever uh, possibilities of you coming back? Were, were those fights close to happening at all?
2: No, you know, that's a good question. Um, this is what I just mentioned a little bit ago. There, there's always rumors rumors, and uh, speculations, and, and I'm not playing a victim, but it seems like compared to most of the stuff that other fighters and athletes do, mine was always... You know, um, Put out a, a big, other uh, a big magnifying glass, or thrown out there for petty, petty things. And you know, my career too. You know, there's a lot of things that like, oh, you retire too soon, and it makes no sense because I had 42 pro fights and was almost pro 13 years. <laughs> you know, um, that's not a short career. And uh, there, but yeah, there was always things out there that about me coming back, and half of those were not even true. You know, I never did an interview. I never said anything about making a comeback. You know, when I retired, it was, I was pretty uh, dead set on it. You know, a lot of people said that there was, my personal life was a reason why I retired. Um if my personal life was as bad as everybody made it out to be, I think I would have already fought. You know, <laughs> I, I think that I would have needed the money or I would have been out there, you know, still fighting. So obviously that wasn't the case. Uh, you know, I, when I won the world title, a lot of fighters are like me. They they wanted to retire quick. A lot of guys now want to make this a career. You know, your Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather, those are very few um, that you're going to find that, that do that for that long. And I was actually counting down to retirement after I won the gold title, as where most guys will count their next big fight. So in 2012, when I hung them up. Um, I was done for sure. And... There probably was one more fight left in me, and that's going on the question you're asking. We did have a fight that was being made, that was going to be announced against me and Andre Ward in, in 2012. And I was really pumped up for that fight. I mean, that was like, I needed it. You know, after going to California and being under the tutelage of Robert Garcia, I was really pumped for that fight. And then, unfortunately, that's when Andre Ward got that shoulder injury. And the fight was, you know, obviously off. And there was no like big fight left out there. I think Super Six was still going on, and there there wasn't really a big fight for me. And I was I just, I was done. I mean, I, I really I really didn't want to do it no more. Between that period of time, there was there was uh, rumors and people you know saying about me fighting, and I was making a comeback to fight some guys. But I'm a realistic also, just like I said on the Joe Rogan uh, interview, you know. In this sport, if you're 20 years old and you take two years off, it could be uh, devastating to a career, and, and you can lose a lot of valuable time. Let alone being 30 years old and taking, you know, five years off or four years off. Um, you know, there was no possibility of me at that time coming
0: back. I guess, I guess, as, the as, I guess as fans, you know, we were we we're just left to to wonder what those matchups could have been like, and and I'm sure we would have liked to see those, but. Obviously, you sound happy in in what you're doing now. I know that you uh you know you follow the sport as an observer. I know you you called fights, you called the Broadway boxing card um, last weekend. So I've heard you say uh you know against Gennady Golovkin, you feel like you would uh match up well against him because he would have to deal with your punch output, your your power, your frame. Um, and I know that you've also said against Canelo, you think that would be a good fight as well because. Uh, you know, he doesn't move as well as, like, a Sergio Martinez, and, and that could be an exciting fight. Um, I know that you're not coming back now to fight these guys, but when you look at the, the middleweight division, what, what do you make of it? Uh, what do you think about the landscape right now, and, and how do you think you would have matched up against some of these guys?
2: I think right now it's pretty exciting, um, and I'm not going to lie on that. I mean, you know, everybody gets to know I mentioned on my podcast. Everybody like, well, when I fought or, you know, or certain fans in my era, you know, these guys were the best. I'm not going to do that, but guys were bigger and stronger, I, I think, when I was fighting at middleweight. You know, Abraham was a strong guy, um, probably the size of a triple G, but Jermaine Taylor was 6'1", 6'1 uh, and a half. Edison Miranda was six foot and then could hit. And I believe Edison Miranda, people will say I'm crazy, but, you know, it's just the way it works in boxing... But when Miranda was coming up, he was the boogeyman of of, of the weight class, and he was a brutal puncher and knocked everybody out. And I believe, personally, that he does hit harder on Triple G. Um, Triple is a fantastic fighter, don't get me wrong. I think the way to sell matches up, Triple G didn't have somebody, you know, who averaged 80-some, high 80s, low 90s uh, punches per round, and also had a, a knockout record. And people also know I had a hell of a 10, too. So it wasn't going to be a one... Easy punch and the fight's over. So I think that's why I would give Triple G. Um, I think that would do very well in that fight. Now, I'm not taking anything away from uh, Golas, and I think he's a phenomenal fighter. I think Canelo, on the other hand, would be a little tougher because he is, um, he is a great defensive fighter. He has a really good body attack. But I think over a period of time, again, with the amount of punches I throw per round and my size, natural size, I think that it would have been hard for Canelo to keep me at bay for 12 rounds. And we all know that Canelo fades a little bit after a sixth round. You know, he starts tiring out. So I think for him, the early rounds, that I would put enough in the bank. And then um, I think that he had to try to play catch-up, and he would definitely be uh, dead tired by the end of the fight. But, you know, them guys were really good, are really good fighters, though. I think that what Canelo is doing for the sport right now, is very good. He's on a hell of a roll. He's hot. Um, I just hope that you don't get too excited about wanting to go fight guys like Kozlov.
0: It'll be interesting to see uh, who Canelo fights next if he makes those moves up. And like you said, it's it's, it's always uh, it's always interesting to compare eras. Not that your era was that long ago, but you know, even two thousand eight, two thousand seven, it's different than than what the middleweight landscape is now when when you look back at at all the great fights you've had you mentioned Edison Miranda obviously Jermaine Taylor um do, do you have any uh regrets about about your career we know that you know you were cruising at 160 and then made the weight jump to fight Hopkins um and, and hindsight is always going to be 2020 20. um so and I know that I think you were um had bronchitis maybe before that fight are there are there any regrets when you, when you look back at any of the fights that you took
2: yeah you know and I did you know that was well done what's a Hopkins fight. I, I never
0: said anything. I was hell kind
2: of lashing, you know, at that point if I would have came out with the excuses. Hopkins was a, a, obviously a phenomenal fighter. I think he went on to win a world title after I fought him. Um, and there was nothing you could really do because I got hit with that and it was too late. You know, I was already in Atlantic City when all that came about. Um, so there's no regret on that with Hopkins. When everybody says that damaged my career, and that that he ruined me. That that wasn't the case whatsoever because I knew the situation going into that fight and um, you know, I didn't get dropped, I didn't get um you know, there was no severe brain trauma or anything like that. I mean I didn't get my ass whooped, but <laughs> that that was about it. Um the Martinez fight, you know, it's one of the things I would have been a hypocrite if I would have done if I would have took came in two pounds overweight and said, Hey, you know what? took me on my, my belts because this is the last fight I've got to wait anyways and I still sometimes, that's the one where I do question, like maybe if I came in a pound and a half over or a pound um, and let them take the belts would that have made a difference because it was brutal to make that weight and you know I think in that fight people if they watched it closely, you know I was up going into the ninth round, I was on, ahead on the score cards and I controlled the center of the ring in those middle rounds fairly easy too and in that ninth round, I hit a wall. And against a guy like Sergio Martinez, you can't do that. I mean, he just, he was that talented, you know, not good. And people blamed the cut, you know, and the cut man. They said, well, that cut was horrible. If I got cut or not that ninth round, I think Sergio Martinez was still going to do what he did. You know, I was just, uh, I had nothing left. Uh, that higher, like, lung-wise, cardio, I was just drained, muscle, body fatigue. But um, other than that, I mean, I think that's the one that sometimes still plays back in my head, you know, with that fight with Marquise, if I would have done that, what could have been. But for the most part, to be honest with you, um, I'm very happy with my career. I I think, you know, being 40-2, 34 knockouts, and I had uh, three title defenses, three-time middleweight champion, um, I'm content with it, you know, and and you have to be because – not everybody's gonna be Mayweather. No not everybody's gonna be Logan or, or uh Bernard Hopkins, you know, and be able to reign that long and, and be a super or Manny Pacquiao or be a superstar, you know, it's just one of the things like I could say that from a childhood I accomplished my dream of being a world champion and you know, did the best that I could and I fought everybody that I possibly could fight. So that's how I kinda of sum up my career.
0: That, that's a really you know honest assessment, especially about uh with the Martinez fight making no excuses and um and I think like you said it it really was a wonderful career and and becoming that that middleweight champion um, and making those defenses. I think that was great. Y- you were able to retire uh at a time where you obviously still have your faculties together you're you're well spoken you're you're commentating on fights and and you didn't stick around the sport too long. obviously, fighter safety has been in the news. Uh, we had we had the passing of uh, Maxim Dadashev. We had the passing of other fighters. Um, wh- what do you think about fighter safety? How, how can we make our sport safer so that we don't have these type of situations happening?
2: You know, I I don't know. Um, that's a really good question, and it is a concern. You know, I, I worry about it. Uh You know, I go to I was at the Atlantic City Boxing Hall of Fame, and I was at the International last year, and I see some of the guys. So the scary part about it is you can be fired when you retire too. You the years that go by and all that, I think they should have more of a study on it um, to see how you can prevent, what the best ways to prevent. I think as far as the fights, you know, unfortunately, if you start stopping fights too early, the fans get mad. You know, a boxer's a lot of times in a no-one situation because if you retire too young, as for instance, like me, there's all these rumors and reasons why you retired, and they want to see you fight you're 70 years old and then when you do that and you can't put two words together then you're punchy and you're uh you know all the ignorant terms they give to you so but i don't know i I would imagine pay closer attention to what's going on in the fights again if you stop them early, though it takes away from the sport kind of um i I don't know i think the research is going to be something that's important in fights uh, and then ways to help. You know, guys, they, I think the issue coming into play in, in all sports, including football, guys are bigger, faster, and stronger this day and age, you know. And the body's only able to withstand so much, including the, the brain and the head. Um So there's going to have to be, I think, more studies and I think urgent that, that people have to start realizing ways to protect the fighter, just not during the fight but the long-term part of it.
0: I, I certainly agree. We're going to have to make some changes, that, and I think you nailed it. That as fans, uh, we need to not demand uh, that fighters don't quit. If, if they quit, that that's totally fine. If they want to retire from the sport, we should we should be supportive, and we shouldn't push fighters um, because they are risking their lives every time they they get in the ring. But before I let you go, just a, just a couple more questions. Sounds like you know you're doing well right now, and and, and uh, you're very happy. As you said, there's always rumors and stuff flying, and 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 part of the rumors were if you were making comebacks and people using your name maybe for clout, um, there's also the rumors that, you know, just as boxing fans, we see the headlines from here and there. We see Kelly Pavlik arrested at a food Fighters concert, or or a pellet gun, or all that, you know. Um, <laughs> was there any truth to, to those type of things? Um, you know, w- were you getting in trouble? Was there a dark period that you kind of came out of a little bit now?
2: Oh, I mean, if you consider that dark, uh, you know, that's usually everyday shit though that and newsworthy. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, granted, to listen, to get honest with you, was I having uh too much fun? Absolutely. You know, absolutely I was. I was not doing what I was supposed to be doing. Um but I again and it wasn't nothing that's out of the unusual in Youngstown, Ohio. Um but again like as you said, BB gun. Um i can even break down the story when you, you know, real quick, there was a kid that was at my house. Um I was taking care of him. He had He had a hard time. I didn't know him that well and I felt bad. Uh after gun incident he stayed at my house for two days and then decided to uh he, he had a warrant off for his arrested and actually got arrested it did two months. Gets out and goes and press his charges against me. You know, there was evidence, there was proof. He had Facebook posts that, you know, yeah, two days ago Kelly me he and Shave went well, together while he was still at my house, you know, laughing about it. Um the four wheeler, uh, things like that, the food fighters, it was a, a shoving match where a buddy, not even like fighting, fighting, you know, it's called, uh, mushpin, like dancing around outside. Um, the cops came, because it's a small, small community, and I'm not lying about this, um, they, they arrested me. A friend even goes, well, why didn't you booking me then? And of course, because he ain't going to sell the local papers, you know, um, this area, at Youngstown, really small, and once they got it off for you, because you're not doing what they want you to do, it, it's horrible. And that's exactly what came about it. I mean, I don't even have to really defend myself. You know, the thing you mentioned, BB gun, four-wheeler, and a, food fight, a shoving match with my buddy at a concert. But those are all pretty petty things. You know, um, it's kind of hard to go to a charter school and talk to back kids about <laughs> you know, life when you're getting in trouble for that. So, I think uh, uh, I
0: think you're you're absolutely right. I think it's it's, it's uh,
2: a lot again, of again. No, they don't give no. I mean, it it's childish things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I like I said, I could admit to that, but it's it's um, not unordinary here. You know, as when you got other athletes out there, and I'm not pointing fingers. I won't mention no names. You know, but robbing people um, at bowling alleys and all the other stuff that just goes on, you know, it's it's kind of frustrating a little bit.
0: It, it and obviously you get the attention and you make the headlines, and and I completely hear uh, what you're what you're saying. And I, and I've seen you quoted and saying um, you've you've done more good for Youngstown than than bad. And that was that was just my my last question. You know, you've obviously been so uh, important for that community and and such a hero for that for that community in Youngstown, Ohio. Do you ever think, you know, now that you have had some time since your last fight, do you ever reflect and, and look back at, at the great career that you had? And, and, you know, I'm sure you always wanted to be a uh, world champion, and everyone wants to be a world champion when, the, when they first put on the gloves, but the fact that you were able to become the middleweight champion of the world and, and, but, and beat Jermaine, the Jermaine Taylors and get in the ring with the Bernard Hopkins and inspire um, these kids in Youngstown, Ohio, do you ever have a, cha- a moment of reflection and just say, like, wow, I can't, I can't believe I did all that?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, yesterday was a good one. of uh Youngstown State Penguins. Um, they had me go speak to the team. And you know, with Youngstown at the same time it's one of those uh 50 things with Youngstown, you because know, it is unfortunately the negativity is, is huge in Youngstown. It's a struggling area and that's what it feeds on. But at the same time the fans that do have that come out of Youngstown and the people is the best fans that you'll ever have. You know, and they're the most loyal fans that you'll ever have. And it was cool. You know, what I said about the charities, I love doing them. Actually, that's another thing that I'm in the process of doing too, um, which should be done about the same time as a gym, is a uh, telecom charitable organization. You know, and we're going to be doing that because I'm really big and, and involved in that. I like doing it. And I've done a lot under the radar, um, but to help out the kids locally and throughout the country. Um, as much as we can so those are the big things that I do like doing and, you know winning a world title gives you the opportunity to be able to do that and to use it you know because yeah I worked my ass off and when I was coming up yeah nobody gave you gave me anything or really helped out um, for the part of me getting there but you know I did make it and now is the point where I want to try to help out as much as I can and use that the fame, the greats, everything else that came along with it—you know—to better other people and help.
0: Kelly, the ghost Pavlik, a great fighter, a great uh, middleweight champion. I'm sure that that you're going to continue training and, and calling fights, and podcasting, and, and giving back to your community, and doing what you love. Kelly, thank you so much for the time.
2: Hey, no problem. Man. Thanks for having me on.
0: There you have it. Great stuff there from Kelly, the ghost, Pavlik. It really would be interesting to see how in his prime he would have matched up against Triple G and Canelo. And it sounds like there's a small chance that maybe that could happen in modern times. He said he hasn't officially retired yet, although he seems to be happy in his post-boxing career. All right, moving on. Up next, I have Steve Kim. He's an ESPN journalist. He's the co-host of the Podcast 3 Knockdown Rule, and we're going to talk to him about all things boxing. And you don't want to miss his official prediction of what would happen if he took on Mario Lopez in a 12-round sparring session. Here's Steve Kim. This is Karan Bhatia. I am speaking to ESPN journalist, co-host of the 3 Knockdown Rule, Steve, Kim. Steve, there, there's so much to talk to you about. I feel like we could start anywhere. So I saw an article that in May of this year that you had uh, Naoya Inouye as your top pound-for-pound fighter. Is Inouye still your top pound-for-pound fighter?
3: Yeah, you know, much hasn't really changed. We, you know, They kind of forced all of us to do that poll probably five or six times a year based on who fights and some of the results. You know, the, my my basis for Inouye being number one really is just not only the victories, but the sheer dominance of them. And when you're blowing out guys in literally less than five minutes that have never been stopped before, and you've given, I think, seven or eight guys are only knock out losses in their
2: careers,
3: you know, you're kind of splitting hairs between guys like Usyk, uh Terrence Crawford, Vasil Lomachenko, and so you got to start finding certain ways, like how do you differentiate these guys? They don't really want us to have ties or anything like that. And a way to me, is very close to breaking out. I don't know if that fight with Nonito Donaire is actually going to happen. The World Boxing Super Series is going through some major issues right now. But, again, based on the dominance, the level of competition, the fact that he's gone up a couple of weight classes. I mean, from the very, I'd say, second, third, fourth fight, he has been spacing... World class opposition and just absolutely running through them. So uh, I would say at the moment that Inoue uh, retains that number one spot.
0: And you mentioned the Nonito Donaire fight that they're trying to put together. We've obviously Donaire is in advanced age; he's, he's a little uh, later in his career. Um, his route through the World Boxing Series was was an interesting one. If that fight happens, would you be picking Inoue by uh, knockout?
3: Yeah, and, and I think that fight is tentatively set for November 7th, I believe, in Tokyo, Japan. But, again, there, there's been no final announcement regarding that. There's something going on there with the World Boxing Super Series. Again, if it's good. But, look, Nino Donaire is a future Hall of Famer, four-division world champion. But his route through the tournament has been rather fortuitous. I think he's faced a couple of late replacements. He was supposed to be paired off with Zolani Tete. A very difficult southpaw boxer. That's fight got kiboshed, I think, about 72 hours or 48 hours before the actual date. Ended up facing a late replacement who was warming up in the bullpen and stuff young. So, look, it, 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 to me, Donaire's legacy is set. he being be in uh, Minnesota one day. I don't think a loss to a Inouye at this particular stage of his career at his age will really hurt him. But I would say that most boxing pundits, I don't know of a single person actually that is picking uh, the Filipino Flash over in
0: And we mentioned in a way why he is your, your top fighter. That makes a lot of sense. Who else is, is in? are your top guys right now? You're, you're Mount Rushmore, if you will, if you don't mind me saying. Um, who, well, you,
3: uh, you know, it's funny. I think on my list, I don't know the exact answer, but I'm actually very big on resume. I think that has to matter. And then the level of the victory. Are you actually dominating people? And then there's also the eye The eye doesn't matter. Sometimes you have to make a determination based on an assumption. Now, I believe that rounding out my top four or five was the Phil Lomachenko, who is certainly um, a very gifted boxer, world champion at 26-30, has a chance to unify at 35 even further, August 31st. His achievements, despite the relative uh, limited number of fights, the quality of opposition in terms of the actual former world champions and world champions he faced is very high. So I put him up there. Uh, Alexander Usyk is a guy that shot up like a bullet the last year or so. Now, um, I've been critical of the World Boxing Super Series for series number two, but, you know, last year, this was a great uh, happenstance for Usyk to be involved in a tournament of this nature that he consolidated the Cruiserweight division really placed himself among the elite in all of boxing. You just look at that resume, and now he'll be making his heavyweight debut, which was postponed uh, originally against Carlos Tacom. I, I guess he's going to face him in mid-October. I'm, I'm very interested to see how he's able to translate that from 200 pounds to being a 215 pounder. Now, he actually does have some amateur experience and some pretty good results against guys like Joe Joyce in the unpaid ranks in the Games Glamour division. But I certainly think he's a player – uh, at heavyweight for the moment that he steps into that ring. Terrence Crawford is another guy that I have definitely in the elite. You know, again, Terrence's resume, the actual ledger, I, I don't know if it's really that strong, even though he did consolidate the whole 140-pound division. The 140-pound class at that point, I don't think it's as strong as it is now, to be honest with you. But just the overall dominance that he's had going up a few weight classes, and the, the boxing skills that he possesses, and the versatility. I think that's the key. His versatility is probably as good as anybody. That I don't recall a fighter ever, that's an orthodox boxer, that was as effective as he's been being a southpaw. And now when you prepare for Terence Crawford, you really don't know how to prepare. And just the adaptability that he shows within fights Those are the top four or five guys that I think – so right off the top of your head, who comes to mind? Also, I can't forget this guy, now that I think about Canelo Alvarez. Great resume, peak of his physical prowess, going through some issues right now with his own promoter and maybe his own platform, but the overall depth of his work and the development of his skills from the time he got blanked by Mayweather to now, where he's absolutely a master craftsman. He's sharp, he's fast, he can counter he's got great head movement the ability to turn offense into defense and to battle the likes of Gennady Golovkin on on at least even terms. And the fact he's only 28, I think, really puts him in that realm. I would say those right now are my top five.
0: Absolutely agree. Uh, What Usyk achieved in terms of getting all four belts in the modern era, era, it's very difficult to do, not only – Uh, You may be willing to fight everyone, uh, but just in terms of promoters and networks, it, it just becomes hard to do sometimes. And I think Canelo faced that a little bit in terms of he was stripped of the IBF uh, title: that he was, Golden Boy was not able to um, come together with a deal with Sergei Derevichenko. They weren't able to get him the Kovalev fight. So you mentioned the drama that's going on right now between Canelo and Golden Boy in the zone. How do you see it all playing out? We we, we see that Golovkin's going to take on Derevichenko now. Who is who is Canelo going to fight, and what's going to happen with his relationship with Golden Boy in the zone?
3: Well, right now it's hit a rocky patch, and th- what I was told is that he had a hard time coming to this realization that if you are going to actually take a guaranteed check and find a long-term deal with any platform or network, they in essence become your employer. It's not like doing pay-per-view where you live off the results of the free market. I mean, uh, if Canelo and Golden Boy decided that we weren't going to work with a safe and the result, pay-per-view and whoever our opponents are and to pay them, retain that right. Now, once you go into any long-term contract, whether it's The Zone or in the past HBO, you know they provide you a safety net, but theoretically, they also have a little bit in terms of uh, quality control measures. Now, to me, when you're getting paid over $35 million a fight, I I said this on our own podcast this week, I think it's implicitly stated at that point, if not in the contract, you're fighting certain guys. And it's clear that The Zone eventually sooner rather than later, wants the fight with Gennady Golovkin. Now, Golovkin was signed on the basis or the belief that, hey, we're going to get that third fight uh, eventually. Now, it was supposed to be this September. I believe it's going to be perhaps next May. Golovkin is moving forward with his own fight with Sergey Tarevichenko for that IBF title. I believe one of the working dates is October 5th. As it relates to Canelo... I know that him and Golden Boy have met numerous times. I think they may have met yesterday. And look, they've got to come to this realization. And I'm specifically talking about Canelo that again, when you are taking a license fee with a guaranteed amount that insulates you from bad pay-per-view results, that also comes at a price. And, you know, I heard that there is some talk of a Andre fight who has the remaining belt at middleweight, the WBO strap.
2: Uh, the
3: working date for that is October 26th, but I'm told this probably going to happen. I get the sense that's a very difficult style. He may not want to at this particular moment. I, I was told yesterday by a pretty good source they expect him to fight later on in the year. I, I Again, this is just me speculating, but I think there is a chance that what they might do is look at the results of the October, excuse me, August 24th fight between light heavyweight champion Sergey Kovalev and Anthony Yard and if Kovalev should come out victorious, I think is most expected against a very green fighter, I would not be completely surprised to see Canelo and Golden Boy revisit that situation.
0: It seems like that is the fight that Canelo has has wanted for some time. Now, I, I spoke to people at main events. They would be thrilled with that fight. So it seems like there's a chance that could come together once Kovalev handles his business um, against Yard. Obviously, that's a very tough fight for him. I also wanted to ask you, we, we saw Manny Pacquiao uh, do what he did against Keith Thurman at 40 years old. It was amazing. He took down uh, one of the top guys in the welterweight division, an undefeated young champion. There was What I wanted to ask you is, you know, after the fight, uh, sometimes we can all become prisoners of the moment. And, and someone brought up on Twitter, they said, is Manny Pacquiao the greatest of all time? Now, it's hard to say someone is the greatest of all time when there's another fighter in your era, in Floyd Mayweather, that beat you. So it's hard to say that, that Pacquiao is the greatest of all time. But I just wanted to get, what is your overall overall reaction to that type of thinking? Um, is that warranted? Obviously, Pacquiao's had such a great and long career. So so what is your reaction to that? Well, to me, Pacquiao
3: is certainly in the top 15 to 20 all-time. You can make an argument and he's top 10, and he's had well over 65 fights. I think he's creeping up into that 70 range. We're not going to see that that often from this point forward. These guys like Conberto Soto um, that have well over 50 fights, as these guys get moved quicker and quicker into title fights and they fight less and less sooner into their careers, Guys fighting 30, 40 times will actually be considered a real career. That alone right there, that type of longevity that Pacquiao has exhibited is amazing. Now, do I think uh, he'll be ranked all-time higher than Floyd Mayweather? You know, I probably not with me. Mayweather has never lost. He did beat him head-to-head. But in terms of, man, who gave me more uh, enjoyment, created more memories – That, to me, is tacky. I think of this particular era, it is basically Floyd and Manny in any order you want. You know, again, does he break into that stratosphere of Duran, Henry Armstrong, Joe Lewis, Muhammad Ali, Ray Robinson, obviously? I'm not sure he really does. But, but again, it's hard to compare eras. It's like, how do you compare Bob Cousy to Allen Iverson to Steph Curry? I I just think we have to lay back sometimes and just appreciate um, guys within their era that's the only comparison you could really make. Like, you could say that Jack Johnson's the greatest heavyweight of all time, but, you know, how do you really judge Jack Johnson based on who he fought and how he fought in that era and compare him to Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder? I'm not really sure that we can really do that logically. To me, Pacquiao will go down as the greatest long-term action fighter of all time. There's a lot of action fighters that are heavily um, influenced by offense and back-and-forth battles, and actually having memorable fights. They have long shelf lives. And the amazing thing about Manny, where I give him a lot of credit, is when he got knocked out flat cold by Juan Manuel Marquez in December of 2012, I was actually there. And then, certainly after he got beat by Pat uh, Mayweather three years later in, what, 2015, I really thought, okay, now it has to be the end. Uh, one way or the other, this has to be the defense. And then you go back where he you know, loses a pretty dubious decision to Jeff. <laughs> then you really think, okay, this has to be the end. Now it has to be the twilight. But, look, his last three victories are over three pretty well-known names where, look, Lucas Batiste was faded, but, look, he was given a shot dominated him, controlled Adrian Broner, a well-known commodity, and then he beat a guy in the thick of his physical prime that had never lost before, that was considered no worse than the second guy in a very good division. Just, just the resiliency of Manny Pacquiao to me is amazing. And that alone, I say to myself, that's his case for being in the top ten all-time, pound for pound.
0: Absolutely, it's it's quite uh, amazing to see what he's done. Turning pro at sixteen and 106 pounds, and working his way up, and and then reinventing himself later in his career as the as the brilliant boxer. Um, it, it it really is uh, amazing what him and, and Freddie Roach have, have achieved. Before uh, I let you go, I just want to quickly ask you about the the two big heavyweight matchups coming up. We all saw Ruiz's huge upset against Anthony Joshua. My my question to you is. I know you spent time in the wildcard gym. Did you ever see Ruiz in there with the hand speed and, and, and think that what he did to Joshua was possible and, and what would be your, uh, your pick on the rematch? I personally think Joshua uh, may make adjustments, become more technical, open up less, and have a better chance in the rematch. What is your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing both Andy Ruiz and a young David Menace about a decade ago, and they were both very overweight. I, I'll be honest with you, when I saw them, And Benavides would come in with his brother, Jose, who at that time was considered a very, very bright prospect. I've said this before. I thought they were two kids trying to lose weight. I didn't actually know if they were going to box competitively. But Andy Ruiz is a gym legend out here in Southern California. Uh, For years, he has really dominated and wrecked people that had much better-looking bodies, that were much more pleasing to the eye in terms of their physique. And into that fight in June, Karn. I had visited Andy a few times at the Legends Gym uh, out there in California. It's about 10, 15 minutes from my office in Montebello. So it's a gym that I go to often. I know Manny Robles as well. And I'd run a couple of interviews on our podcast that I had taped before his fight. I thought this fight was a blowout. In fact, I actually thought it was a tougher stylistic matchup than Jarrell Miller based on one thing. Hand speed and fluidity. And the fact that Andy had fought, I believe, in late April and only took about a week off, because if that had been an issue, his physical fitness and his focus, then was able to get this opportunity against Joshua. I thought that was a key variable that many people did not talk about. So I'll be honest, I didn't say that he was going to win, but I said to myself, this is actually a real fight. So it did not completely stun me because based on actual skill, and you don't judge him by his body, and the fact that, as I like to say, he'll never make the cover of muscle and fitness, his skills and his ability is top-notch. Now, the worry that I have, Kern, is that I'm with you. I believe in the rematch that is still yet to be announced for various reasons. I, I, I'm with you. I think Joshua will be tactical, will in essence try to glitch-go it out, Be very tactical from the outside and win it round by round. But Andy Ruiz has now got to get back into the gym. He has not been training regularly. I think it's time for the victory lap to kind of come to a conclusion. And he's got to get back to work with Manny Robles because eventually they will announce the rematch.
0: Absolutely. And I think it was 42 or 43 days between uh, fights for Andy Ruiz. So he was in fighting shape, but that that just makes it all that more... Interesting. Um, the other heavyweight fight, obviously, is Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. Now, they, we know that they have fights to get through before the rematch happens early next year. Um, in, in the first fight, I, I know that I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that you were high on Tyson Fury. Obviously, he can box and move, and he showed that. My question is, I think there's a, a general feeling in, in fights that the counterpuncher generally has the advantage in a rematch because he is able to make the adjustments, uh, from from um, the power guy. Now in this case, I feel like Wilder finding that right hand that open or getting the knockdown in the twelfth round. Uh, I think it could go either way. Did he find an opening in Fury there in the twelfth round that that'll carry into the next fight, or is it the more typical the typical thinking that Fury is a, is can be more of the counterpuncher, can move more, and that's going to be his advantage in the rematch? What do you make of that rematch? The
3: convention has always been the boxer has. And obviously that's Tyson Fury, who probably has the highest boxing ring IQ of any heavyweight currently. The rematch to me is fascinating, because I think that large portions of that second fight will look a lot like the first fight. Tyson Fury will jab, con control spacing and distance, educated left hand. But Deontay Wilder, as I like to say, is very good at one thing, whatever flaw he has technically... He's good at being what he is, and that is a right-handed puncher and one of the hardest punchers I think we've ever seen in the heavyweight division. Um, There's going to be large segments of that fight where Fury will slow down the tempo, and he's going to box, and you're going to see it's a reconfirmation of what we saw back last December. But, again, if there's anyone in boxing that has the proverbial eraser and can score and hit the 10-run home run, it, it, it is Deontay Wilder. The thing that I do like about Fury was, go back to last year, Curran. Uh, we're talking about a fighter that, that that I think was still rusty, even though he had two tune-up fights against two very soft opponents. And, look, in my view, they chose Fury at that time because they felt, hey, we might as well get him earlier if we're Deontay Wilder before in his groove. Now, um, let's be honest. Tyson Fury's not exactly taking off Joe Frazier or George Foreman uh, post-Deontay Wilder in 2010, but he is staying in camp, and he's not going to let his weight balloon up like he had in the past. So as, as he fights Otto Wallen on September 14th, look, there's a reason why they are choosing him. He's non threatening, and it's another way to get him out there. Now the question that I have is, at, at what point, Colonel, are they going to announce your teeth fight I keep hearing it's November 9th, several venues have been brandied about. So I actually think that that fight, even though I think Deontay Wilder is going to stop Ortiz sooner and may may make it a little bit easier than it was the first go-around back last March, there's much more of an element of danger in that fight than there is for Tyson Fury, in my view.
0: It, it really is going to be fascinating to see. What happens, like you mentioned, Luis Ortiz is going to be a big challenge. Uh, November 9th has been the rumored date uh, for his rematch with Deontay Wilder, so we'll see what happens there. The last fight I need to ask you about, and, and I'm sure uh, you've been asked about this before, a 12-round sparring session between you and Mario Lopez. How does that go? <laughs> well, has a lot more experience than me. I, I think
3: that's interesting. Mario has the edge. He's, he's the more seasoned guy. I'm, I'm still green. I'm, I'm okay on the heavy bag and the double end bag. Uh, he actually gets in there by, you know, He actually got in there Last Saturday And I guess When Full came in And it got pretty heated So uh, Based on experience And toughness And Mario packs A really good left hook You're a true Mexican left hooker, like his the idol Who the Chavez <laughs> Well if that ever fights
0: If that fight uh, Ever comes together I'm sure there's gonna be A lot of eyeballs On that Steve Kim Doing great things at ESPN uh, I'm sure we'll see you Ringside I'm sure we'll see you On the uh, 3 Knockdown rule Thank you so much For the time And breaking down All the fights Every time. Thank you very much. Steve Kim breaking down all the biggest fights in boxing, all the biggest news in boxing. And one thing that he mentioned was Canelo Alvarez. And that's actually what our next guest is going to talk about. Our next guest is Gabe Oppenheim. Gabe Oppenheim is doing great reporting about Canelo and what exactly is going on in terms of the quote-unquote drama. He Canelo, that is, seems to have a falling out or is unhappy with his promoter, Golden Boy Promotions. He may not be happy uh, with the zone. And Gabe is going to break down exactly why that is and walk us through all the possible scenarios uh, that could take place this fall for Canelo Alvarez. This is Karan Bhatia for the Ask the Experts podcast. I am speaking to Gabe Oppenheim. Gabe is a boxing author. He's a journalist. Gabe, first of all, thank you so much for for taking the time to speak with me. I know that you've been doing some great reporting about the Canelo, Golden Boy, Zone drama. So could you just kind of fill us in a little bit about what is going on there with Canelo? Uh,
4: Thanks so much for having me, first of all. What's going on with Canelo is he is the prime property of Golden Boy Promotions. Uh, He has been for for the last three years the only moneymaker in the entire stable uh, of Golden Boy boxers. They were hoping that by 2020, uh, Ryan Garcia and Virgil Ortiz, two young prospects, could make more money uh, than they lose. But right now, to this day even still, Canelo is the only property that makes Golden Boy any money. And as a result, uh, if he's unhappy with Golden Boy or happy with Golden Boy, uh, you get very different results that impact this pretty small promotional company uh, very largely. So, to make a long story short, uh, Canelo Alvarez, uh, the middleweight who has recently defeated Danny Jacobs, uh, has a long-term deal with DAZN, the streaming service. Um, the DAZN deal involves not just him but also Golden Boy as a whole, and he has felt wronged by Golden Boy uh, a few different ways, and so he has now hired his own lawyer to re-examine his contractual obligations to Golden Boy. To possibly change what those obligations are, um, and ultimately, he probably will use that lawyer to get a better deal for himself at uh, the zone at Golden Boy, even though the 350 million dollar sort of title of the deal already screams money. But he will probably ultimately not leave, but get better terms. But the antagonism alone, the 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 idea of him being separate from Golden Boy alone. Is wild enough to merit reporting? At least, so I thought.
0: And so ha, let's. Canelo signed the the big deal, like you said, three hundred fifty million. It was a ten or eleven fight deal. Things seemed to be going well. It seemed like a good partnership. Canelo said on his end, he was happy to be on the zone where people could see his fights for whatever the price point is. Originally nine ninety nine, now nineteen ninety nine, depending if you get monthly or yearly. Um, but he was happy that people could see his fights for less money. The Zone was obviously happy that they have this star. Um, and the, the, the problem seems to have happened recently where Canelo wanted to fight Sergei Kovalev. Um, and for whatever reason, with his promoter, uh, Golden Boy Promotions, with Oscar De La Hoya, that fight was not able to come together. Um, so just take us through exactly what happened um, there. Why was that fight not able to come together? What, and what happened after that to cause the issues? <laughs>
4: All right. Thank you for uh, setting that all up because it, it is there is a so, there is a lot to set up. So in August, Sergey Kovalev, the light heavyweight champ, um, who two fights ago looked like he was done forever, and then last fight regained his title and seems pretty sturdy. All of a sudden, once again, he was definitely an opponent that the zone streaming service approved. And one of the things that probably we should start with here is. The Dezone deal doesn't give Golden Boy or Canelo cart launch to fight anybody on the streaming service. There has to be an agreement uh, that this fighter is sort of a big enough name for Dezone because while Dezone does not get pay-per-view money in the traditional sense, they need to get subscribers who do pay money, and so names are a huge deal. So Sergey Kovalev was an approved name, but somehow or another, and this is one of these small details that looms very large, They Golden Boy would not offer the Kovalev camp the money the Kovalev camp uh, wanted until a day after. So Kovalev signed to fight in Russia. However, there was a grace period, not even a grace period, that's the wrong term. There was a period after Kovalev signed to fight in Russia in which Kovalev could have pulled out without upsetting the Russian backers of this particular fight. It's in his hometown, and there are people there with some power, uh, both financially and also other types of power. Um, and so Golden Boy could have yanked him out of that situation. But they didn't make the offer that was what Sergey Kovalev wanted until that period had passed, until it was one day essentially after that that period, in which case Kovalev couldn't take it, even if he had wanted to, because he's, he's contractually stuck to fight uh, in August in his hometown, Chelyabinsk, Russia. So that's what happened with the Kovalev situation. And it's a strange, strange thing, because to have the correct offer being made exactly one day late, it it begs so much, it begs so many questions. And I honestly don't have (laughs) any of the answers, but um, that's one of those things where I think Canelo also is left shaking his head. Uh, For the, for that matter, I would, I would just immediately say maybe the biggest head scratcher of all is the person who's been leading Canelo negotiations recently, uh, Robert or Roberto Diaz uh, who happens to be a very fine gentleman. Like I liked him as a person. I think he's a good guy. Um, he, he has led negotiations more recently after Kovalev fell through um, with the IBF Mandatory Challengers camp. The Mandatory Challengers, Sergey Derevchenko, And with that camp, he would not respond to any of their phone calls or entreaties. Um, the zone couldn't get him on the line for a while. And then when they finally got him, it was a day before these negotiation periods were going to be over and a purse bid was to be had. And so the timing of that also is extremely strange. So you look at the timing of both things, and there, there are some things that cannot be right there. And I don't know why they are the way they are, but if I were Canelo, I can understand why I would start to wonder how come this group doesn't have things together, and why is Robert Diaz the only guy here in charge, and what's Eric Gomez, the CEO, doing? Where are they right now, and how are they helping me?
0: That's that's really the question, and like you said, we don't know all the answers. But if, if you have to give us your best guess, you know, we know Canelo said he wanted to fight Kovalev. We know that the zone would have uh, approved Canelo versus Kovalev. That would have been a big fight. Why do you think, if you had to give us a guess, why did Golden Boy wait until that deadline, that last day, to give Kovalev the offer? And why did they not um, pick up the phone and talk to Dereviachenko and, and, and make that fight happen, knowing that the, the chance that Canelo could be stripped of the IBF title Um, knowing that that was a possibility. Why do you think, if you had to give us the best guess, these things happened the way they did?
4: I think, actually, the answers aren't the same for each. So I think for Kovalev, the answer is they thought they would get Kovalev on a discount or at a particular price um, or a particular way. And they didn't think, you know, they thought they would call Kovalev's bluff, that, like, yeah, Kovalev's going to go back to his hometown and fight in Russia instead of taking our money you know, in, and whatever venue we choose, which is likely to be a bigger, more established venue. Um, the place in Russia where he's fighting is called Tractor Sport Palace, which is clearly the best name ever for an arena. Um, so I think there they were, they were trying to call a bluff that, the, and Nikola wasn't bluffing. Like he really wasn't going to go back and fight there. Um, and they thought, well, you know, we'll hold off. We won't offer, what well, you know, the most that we can. We won't offer what he wants. Um, you know, his promoters, Kathy Duba and main events, Has a long history, but they've got not a lot of clout right now, so we'll sort of push her around, at least financially. But the truth is, Golden Boy is not very big right now either. And so the idea that they can push another promoter around or get a a big fighter to accept a little bit less or even a lot less than that fighter wants, you know, or at a schedule that that fighter doesn't like... You know, that may have been the case when Golden Boy had active Bernard Hopkins, active Shane Mosley, you know, but that's not the case today. They've got one fighter in Canelo whom they can use uh, as a battering ram or however you want to use him, um, which, by the way, makes it all the more crazy that you would even risk that relationship. Separately, with the Dariochenko timing, um, I think Robert Diaz's silence to that long period was golden boy slash, you know, he himself saying, we're never going to fight Deryvchenko. As a name, he's very minor. The zone doesn't want us to. Eventually, the zone did approve him. But as a name to the layperson, even to the modest boxing enthusiast, Sergei Derevchenko is, isn't really very well known. So we'll hold off because while we're holding off with this guy, we'll manage to wend our way into a separate fight. Uh, and we'll just pay this guy here, Deryvchenko a uh, step-aside fee, right, which is not uncommon in boxing. You know, you have a mandatory challenger. In this case, it was the IBF mandatory. You pay under the IBF's rules or whichever organization, you pay a step-aside fee, and that allows you to fight someone else of your choosing as so long as you fight the uh, challenger, you know, within the next six months or something like that. So they believed, I think, they could push this guy around, pay him to step aside, and by the time they made the phone call, uh, Daryl Yuschenko's camp. camp was essentially really, really angry at having been ghosted for two months. I use the word ghosted in my reporting because, like, that's what it is, right? That's the term we use now. If you call someone for two months and they don't pick up once, then after two months they start to talk, you know, your first question isn't going to be, okay, cool, how much money are you offering? It's going to be, where have you been? So so I don't know why. Um, well, I know that they thought they could make uh, the Canelo mandatory, Deregyvchenko step aside because historically uh, fighters have taken step aside money when it's good. But if you anger somebody a lot and they have another option, well, that other option is the one they're going to turn to. So what they miscalculated with Deregyvchenko step aside money is uh, if Canelo F's up, if if they don't get that deal done, then Deregyvchenko's camp can say, all right, then we'll fight Triple G, right? Because Triple G is the guy that Canelo doesn't want to benefit monetarily. So, Derek actually had more options than Canelo did. His representatives didn't see it that way. They thought, "We'll pay one guy to step aside. But the, the guy they were trying to pay, you, for two months, were very, very, very not nice to him. And he has another option. So why would he take your option? Um, and that's why Canelo is angry, lawyered up. And looking to put the screws on his management, I mean his you know promotional side, so that you know a this stuff never happens again, and b he gets something compensatory for it happening in the first place.
0: So, and, and that's excellent reporting. Um, and it seems like w- what you're saying is, is Golden Boy is kind of playing high stakes poker, and maybe they're zigging when they should be zagging, maybe not making the correct moves. Um, in terms of timing, and it just didn't work out in their favor in this case. Um, with that said, you know I, I have another question for you. Uh, we know that Canelo and Golovkin fought the first time; it was it was a very close fight. It ended up being a draw. A lot of people thought Golovkin won that fight. Um, they fought again in the rematch, and this time Canelo won. Again, they were both very close fights. Wouldn't it have made sense for all parties involved? Uh, you know, G- uh, Gennady Golovkin signed a deal with the zone now canelo's obviously with the zone wouldn't it have made sense to just have the trilogy fight um this september uh it could have, canelo versus triple g um wh- wouldn't all parties have signed off on that and and why did that not come together the way it did and why does canelo not want to fight golovkin right now so
4: you're right it would be totally sensible for their third fight to take place this fall uh but you're vo- well versed in boxing enough to know right that the sensible thing is almost never what occurs. Uh, Common sense generally doesn't rule. That would be a lovely thing, though, if it it did. uh, And we could see the trilogy fight sooner rather than later. I will just add before I say anything else that despite all the drama, I I still believe pretty sincerely, and there was no pun intended with drama there. It just sort of came out. But I do believe sincerely you'll see the the third fight between Canelo and Triple G in the spring of 2020 um, on that Cinco de Mayo weekend. So... Um, so you'll have to wait for it. Like everything else in boxing, the same way we, we waited for the first one. And then even the second one, once Canelo tested positive. Uh, so we'll have to wait again, but I, I do think that will happen. Cause I do think Canelo isn't going to leave golden boy. I think he's going to stay in the fold while getting better terms on pretty much everything. And the question as to why it didn't come off, why wouldn't all parties just sign, uh, really speaks to Canelo. But Golovkin wanted that. Uh, He didn't get rid of Abel Sanchez Golovkin as his trainer, right, and bring on Jonathan Banks as his trainer in order to fight a bunch of random dudes. He did that because he saw that in the second fight against Canelo, Abel Sanchez lacked the tactician's ideas to bring that victory to him in a really big, solid, obvious way. And I saw evidence of that, and I think anyone who watches the first two fights can see that while you may think one person won or another person won, often Triple G was not doing the thing that would have given him uh, a better shot at winning. That, that, that sometimes, I mean, at least for me, sometimes you see Triple G, he comes in straight ahead without his knees sort of bent at all. And if he would only change levels a little bit on Canelo, throw something downstairs, then upstairs, um, work at certain angles, it, it, it wouldn't take very much for him to, to hit and hit hard. But – uh Canelo basically never really gets caught uh, against the ropes or in the corner in a significant way. And a lot of it has to do with, I think, the tactics or lack thereof of Abel Sanchez. So, uh, yeah, Golovkin would have signed up for the third fight right away. Uh, Dazon would have signed up for the third fight right away. And uh, Oscar De La Hoya would have signed up for the third right, fight right away. But it's that last thing I said that is also the problem here. Oscar De La Hoya needs to make money off Canelo. And while the zone deal is practically done, uh, there are all these ancillary sources of income that come with huge fights, you know, big fight weekends. There are sponsors and uh, myriad ways you can make money off a big fight weekend. And Oscar was told by Canelo, I don't want to fight triple G. You know, triple G essentially has used me to make his name and he whines about not getting decisions. There's a, a sincere dislike there. Uh, Often in boxing, I don't believe in a sincere dislike. I think it's just for the screen. Um, this one I do. Uh, and maybe that makes me extremely naive, but I believe the antipathy is real. And according to my reporting, Canelo told Oscar, hey, don't promise them that trilogy fight, The Zone. Don't, don't say that when you negotiate with them because I, I don't want to do it. Now, that doesn't mean he never wants to do it, but Oscar went ahead and said he would do it. Oscar went ahead, apparently, according to my reporting, and told The Zone, oh, yeah, Canelo will sign him for the third fight right now. So that act was itself sort of a betrayal uh, of the only fighter who makes Oscar any money. Uh, now, I think Canelo still wants that fight, but I don't think Canelo wa- – I think Canelo wanted to lord it over Golovkin. Look how much I got paid. Look at what I'm getting from DAZN, you know, and look what you're getting from DAZN. And Oscar kind of undermines him that way. And, yeah, it would make sense for them to fight. But one of the reasons they aren't is because I think they hate each other. Specifically, really, though, Canelo disliking Golovkin. I don't know that Golovkin hates anybody.
0: Right. So that's really interesting. It's almost that... Canelo dislikes Golovkin so much that he's putting aside his uh, feeling of wanting to beat him in the ring and saying, I actually don't want to give you that financial opportunity uh, and, or end that opportunity in the ring to, to get your revenge and that financial opportunity to get the big fight. So that seems to be uh, Canelo's mindset of, of what is going on right now. What we do know is Canelo has been stripped of the IBF title because, like you reported, he was not able to uh, sign the fight with Sergei Derivyachenko in time. Now the IBF has uh, declared that Gennady Golovkin sh- needs to fight Sergey Dervyashenko. So we know that that fight may be next for those two. If you had to guess, uh, w- we know that Canelo is uh, going hi- to hire a team of lawyers. He's going to try to restructure his deal. He's going to try to um, change the terms and-, and make it more favorable for himself. He's not happy with his promoter. If you had to guess, uh, what is Canelo's next fight going to be now at this point?
4: Uh, it, uh, look, I, 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 this is one of those – Some guesses are real guesses. Some guesses are, you know, people are pretending to speculate, but really they know. I really don't know. Um, I think everyone is sort of saying, you know, if it's not Demetrius Andrade, um, then how could this be any sort of fight The zone would want? Demetrius Andrade has a a middleweight title belt. Um, Stylistically, he'd be hard for Canelo, but also it actually might be a good style matchup. Um, Boxer versus puncher, in a sense, um, so so people seem to think uh, Demetrius Andrade at 160 is sort of the obvious option, but we just spoke about how the obvious things aren't happening, not with Canelo, not, not with the zone right now, uh, not at 160 pounds. So if if Andrade doesn't happen with Canelo, you know, again, Canelo, if he's looking up at 175 to a guy like Sergey Kovlov, that means that there's a range of dudes um, from 154 up to 175 who are possibilities. Um, unfortunately, some of those are going to be really disappointing uh, fights for fans. Like, nobody wants to see Triple G, excuse me, uh, Canelo versus Jaime Munguia. That would be uh, not, a, like, a good fight. Munguia would get his butt kicked. Um, so there's some bad options there. Uh, I kind of am hoping for the Andre fight, Andre fight. I think uh, what happens is Triple G and Deryvchenko fight, um, I'd like to see Andre and Canelo fight. And then obviously have the winter fight next spring. I'm not counting on it, but that's, that's personally what, what I want. But I, you'd have to, the reporting that I did was as much as I could get out of anybody on this topic. Um, I gave golden boy ample, ample opportunity to talk to me and they didn't want to not even once. Uh, so the idea that, um, I might get some inkling of what's going on there. There are, there are better reporters than I out there. I, I, uh, I've hit it that end, but I do hope it's Andrade, and we'll see.
0: If you look at the options at middleweight, like you said, Demetrius Andrade is obviously uh, in the the conversation because he is the WBO middleweight title holder. The other uh, title holder, WBC, is Jermel, Charlo, and he's obviously on the other side of the street with PBC. That fight is unlikely to happen. Like you said, Canelo maybe have to, will have to look upwards in terms of super middleweight or light heavyweight for his next opponent. We will see, uh, what happens. The last thing I wanted to ask you about in this whole drama is that, according to your, your reporting, it was possible that a buyout situation, um, could happen for Canelo. So, I'm guessing you believe that that is unlikely that Canelo will come in and, and completely uh, buy out his entire contract and look for another promoter and another network. But that is actually uh, a small possibility, correct?
4: Yeah, it's a small possibility. I mean, in, just in terms of leverage, uh, Canelo can always sort of say, well, you know, if you want to keep me, um, good luck. I'm going to sue you because the, the thing with leverage that's complicated with Golden Boy is they've Golden Boy has made mistakes that are public, you know, um, Oscar De La Hoya has had addiction issues and has missed out on certain uh, events where Canelo was expecting him. So um, no one from Golden Boy's side wants to litigate certain things because there are embarrassments. And on Canelo's side also, I mean, listen, Canelo was, uh, had a very sticky arrangement with uh, Tito Zabala, the Florida promoter and Golden Boy Oscar helped him out of that. So neither side, I think, really wants to go to to all-out war. So, yeah, it's much more likely that there will be some um, agreements uh, as opposed to in-court actual stuff. And and by – sorry, let me rephrase that. When I say agreements, I mean non-buyout agreements. I mean, you know, changes in terms but not actually being bought out. But, you know, look, anything's possible. Maybe the Mexican billionaire Carlos Slim – Calls up uh, Delahoye and says, "Yeah, Canelo wants me to buy out his contract. How much you want? Like, yeah. <laughs> for a while, that that guy owned the New York Times. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but yeah, I think a buyout is possible, but unlikely. And uh, but I, I think Golden Boy has to step up and change, and then and that's going to be part of the discussion. Golden Boy fired uh, very recently. I think I guess at the beginning of 2019, uh, Mercury Public Relations, and they've recently uh, been working with Havas, um, but." just the change in terms of the way they did PR uh, has significantly changed. And, and, and to the detriment of a guy like Canelo, he I think is less visible now than he was uh, before. And not just because there's no HBO boxing, but also because even the PR unit that they were, I mean, the PR unit for Mercury used to work out of the golden boy office. If I went to visit them, it was inside golden boys, downtown LA building, um, not, not at some Mercury site. So to remove that team, um, and I don't know whether that was hubris or that was part of their deal with the zone that the zone gets to handle publicity, but if I'm Canelo and I see like less publicity, uh, I'll be angry. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm an asshole because I demanded money, got money, but I still want more. I mean, I think if you're getting more money, you're going to assume and honestly assume that the other stuff in the promotion, for instance, publicity, uh, won't, won't be decreased. Right. So so there's some stuff that Golden Boy has to fix up, but no, I don't think they're going to break up, break up.
0: There's obviously a lot of drama as boxing fans here. We just want to see the best matchup. So let's hope that uh, if it is Canelo Alvarez for Demetrius Andre, that, that's a great matchup. And then eventually we can get Canelo versus Triple G next year, the trilogy. I think that's a fight that pretty much everyone wants to see and, and would make everyone very happy. Gabe Oppenheim you've you've, uh, been doing some great reporting here, filling us in on on what's going on behind the scenes. Thank you so much for the reporting, and thank you so much for the time and coming on the podcast. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Gabe Oppenheim giving us his reporting about the Canelo Alvarez situation. A couple things need to be said. Number one is that Canelo has now said, or the rumors are, that Canelo is probably going to wait until after Sergey Kovalev fights Anthony Yard. He's going to see how that fight goes. And then maybe he will fight Sergey Kovalev after all this year. But I think it all depends on. Kovalev's test that is in front of him, which is Anthony Yard. We should also add one note by Gabe Oppenheim there. He mentioned Mercury PR. He wants to make it clear that was Gabe's own opinion there about the change with Mercury PR. That was not necessarily Canelo's opinion, that was Gabe's opinion. And he was just bringing up all the changes that have happened recently. Great stuff again there from Gabe. Definitely a talented journalist on the come up. All right, my last guest. of the episode, and we're going all the way to India. We're going to talk to Neeraj Goyat. There's been a few Indian boxers on the scene. Neeraj Goyat is one of those, and he had the Amir Khan fight set, except there was a car accident. I'm going to ask him exactly what happened there. How is he doing? How is recovery going? And we're going to chat about boxing in India. Here is Neeraj Goyat. This is Karan Bhatia for the Ask the Experts podcast. I am speaking with uh, Indian professional boxer Neeraj Goyat. Niraj, you had the fight signed with Amir Khan. It was going to be uh, in Saudi Arabia. It was going to be uh, Pakistan versus India. And then we heard that there was a car accident. So tell us what happened. And, and of course, are you okay? And are you recovering?
5: Yeah, you are right. Actually, I was having my fight on 12th of July in Saudi Arabia with Amir Khan. But few days back, uh, before my fight, I met with an accident. Car accident, And I had a uh, airline fracture in my arm. So I was not able to fight. But uh, uh, let's hope for the best. I'm recovering. I'm recovering fast. Now I'm okay. And I'm preparing to fight again. And hopefully it will be in November this year.
0: And what what exactly happened in, in the car accident? Was it a, was it a major accident? where you did you go to the hospital? What what happened exactly?
5: No, it was not major accident. It was just normal accident. But my wrist got hurt in that accident, and, and uh, small injuries in head. But it's you can't say it a major accident because I was fine. I was awake. I was in full conscious, and I was okay.
0: Okay, good, good. So, are you uh, are you fully recovered now? Are you still recovering? And when are you going to get back into training for boxing? When are you going to get back into into fighting? Just let it, no, no, I'm it I'm
5: totally recovered now. I'm I'm totally recovered now. I'm totally fit for the fight.
0: You're totally fit. You're totally recovered. That's good. So you're you're back in the gym and you're back to training.
5: Yes, yes, I'm back to gym and back to training
0: that's that, that's great only that. training, I'm not
5: punching right now, I'm not punching right now, but uh now, but my injury is recovered
0: the wrist is is almost there, and you're gonna start uh hitting the bag and and start punching again soon,
5: yeah, in a couple of days, I will start hitting bag.
0: very good, very good, so glad to hear that that you're okay that that everything ended up okay, so you obviously became an observer then uh for Amir Khan's fight against Billy Dib, Billy Dib stepped in to take your place. Did you did you watch the fight Amir Khan versus Billy Dib?
5: Yeah, I do watch I did watch the fight. It was good.
0: What did you think of uh Amir Khan's performance? He knocked out Billy Dib uh in the 4th round, but Billy Dib obviously was the the smaller man. He came up a couple of weight classes. What what did you think of Amir Khan's performance that night?
5: Yeah, Amir Khan is good, but no better than me. He's good. He's totally good, but not better than me. I'll show him in the ring that who I am.
0: I've heard you say that if you fought Amir Khan, you feel like you would knock him out. Is that still your position? Do you feel like you would knock him out?
5: Yeah, he can't knock me out, never. It's impossible. When he'll face me, he'll come to know, and other people will also come to know. And this is my history. This is my record that I have never knocked down. In any fight.
0: You've never been knocked out. Do you think no, no, that you, no, would, I... you would knock him out? Would you knock out Amir Khan if you fought him?
5: Oh, that time will tell, but I will definitely work on it. <laughs> I will try, and maybe it can happen, you know? We can't say anything. But definitely, I'll beat him up in the ring. I'm eagerly okay. waiting for that day.
0: You are eagerly waiting, and, and the the setup to the fight was uh India versus Pakistan right you you're representing India Amir Khan representing Pakistan yeah, yeah, yeah. and we know the rivalry yeah, that has existed between India and Pakistan but your fight was not to create more division right you wanted to actually create unity and have the nations come together right
5: yes 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 right and uh i uh, this is my personal thinking that we should not fight on the war ground in uh, we can fight in the ring only, okay? Because if we are fighting in the, on the battleground, there are lots of death but lots of injuries. But we we are fighting in the ring, so we can make our nation proud in the ring only.
0: I think that's a great okay. mission. I think if you can unite uh, and, and only fight in the ring, not fight outside of the ring, I think that's excellent. Um, so when do you hope to uh, fight Amir Khan now? Do you want to fight him later this year?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are planning, but dates are not confirmed. maybe in November this year.
0: Okay, great. And tell me a little bit about boxing in India. Now, you know, I know boxing in, the India, in, in India has been on the rise. It's becoming more popular. There's fighters out there like yourself. There is uh, Vikas mm. Krishan. There's Vijendra Singh. So tell me about boxing in India. It's becoming more popular now, right?
5: Yeah, India is you know very good in amateur boxing, but professional boxing is new to India. And slowly and slowly it's growing in India. Professional boxing is also growing in India. But in amateur, you can say we have the best boxers in the world.
0: Vijender Singh, who's a, another prominent Indian boxer, there was a little bit of back and forth with you and him. He, he said that uh, in his quotes, I am always ready. You should ask Amir Khan. He's been playing with kids this whole time. In other words, Vigender Singh calling you a kid, you were not happy about that. What did you think about Vigender Singh calling you a kid?
5: Actually, you know it's funny, and I have already retweeted uh, this thing which he tweeted, uh, which, uh, which he said, "As I am his junior, he should pay regard to me, and I am also I am always paying regard to him as he's is my senior in boxing. Uh, he's a good Indian boxer, but he should not you know underestimate anyone." And especially me. And Khan is of my weight category, and, uh, and Vikas and Vikas Yadav, and uh, Vijendra Kumar from India. They both are from India, and they are of same weight category. But Vijender never fights Vikas Krishan Yadav, as he is afraid of him. And I, I openly challenge him that you should face Vikas Krishan Yadav in the ring right
0: now. You would like to see uh, Vikas Krishan versus Vijender Singh. You'd like to see that fight happen.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want him to fight Vikas, Krish, and because they are of the same category, weight category. And it is very good for the professional boxing of India.
0: And so let's hope that, that those fights to get, uh, come together. The, the big deal, though, is that, that kids are now watching you, Vikas, Krish, and Vijendra Singh in India and becoming inspired to become boxers and, and train in boxing, and that that hasn't happened before in India
5: yeah 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 it's uh, you are totally right uh, actually we are never we don't know that we are also role models of millions of children in india they are just watching us and they are doing uh, the way we are doing and some of the, them are uh, following us also the way we are going we are just working hard for the generations to come uh, so that exactly. they can also you know we can open the gates for them
0: exactly and i think if if you are uh, spreading the message of unity, of of uh, trying to spread that message, I, I think that I think that, that's excellent. What has it been like for you to to be in Bollywood movies and to be a celebrity? What has that been like for you?
5: Yeah, it's, you know it's, I feel very good that uh, people are knowing me through my boxing, through the Bollywood, and I just want to uh, make boxing famous through Bollywood. I want to know that I, all people should know that Anirgoit uh, is a name he's a professional boxer of india he's doing well and now i'm uh, coming in movies also and in uh, you will see me and you will see me in uh, coming time in much more movies there are some plans. and you will uh, come to know in a couple of days only
0: very good and and like we said India boxing on the rise because Christian is two and o the gender eleven and o. Uh, yourself, Neeraj at 11-3, and 3, representing India. So, just to close it off, your your next fight, wh- what do you think your next fight will be?
5: Uh, hopefully, my next fight will be with Amir Khan only, and uh, maybe in November this year. Uh, and you will know the dates in a couple of days. Uh, everyone will come to know. We'll do a press release once the dates are final.
0: Okay, excellent. So, Neeraj, thank you for... The work that you're doing, inspiring young kids in India, uh, trying to b- bring together India and Pakistan with unity. Thank you, and best of luck to you. Hopefully, you can get that Amir Khan fight. Um, best, best of luck to you in, in your continued boxing career. Thank you for taking the time. Uh,
5: thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, man. And I don't. I totally appreciate.
0: That was Niraj Goyat. It is important to remember that boxing is a global sport and people follow boxers everywhere including India which is a country of 1.3 billion people it's great to see that fighters like Neeraj Goyat are inspiring a young generation of kids to get interested into boxing to follow boxing to love this sport and that's great to hear the other important piece if you've been following the news the tensions between India and Pakistan have never been higher they're extremely high right now and what he was trying to do with amir khan was to do nations connect not nations collide nations connect fight in the ring not outside of the ring so let's hope that maybe that can happen maybe that fight can come together in the ring later this year that is our show today i am karan Bhatia. this was ask the experts i want to thank my guests amir king khan kelly pavlik steve kim Gabe Oppenheim, and Niraj Goyat. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. If you want to follow me on Instagram, on Instagram or Twitter, or Twitter, Twitter or my, my personal, personal handle, handle, handle is I at Curran Bhatia. C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, we're at a t e underscore podcast a t e underscore podcast that's on twitter if you want to email us ask the experts pod at gmail.com once again i want to thank all of my guests thank you for listening i want to hear from you if you like the show send us some feedback let me know who you want to hear from in future episodes until next time this is karan batia signing off for the ask the experts podcast